We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me. That's at Mike Dugar. That's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Also, shout out to all our YouTube subscribers. Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. We appreciate the love. We're on the road to, what is it, Chris? 2K. 2,000 subscribers. So hit that button for us. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206. And that's CKID206. We are continuing our pre-draft coverage uh, with a guy who is new to The Athletic, also new to the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. We're very happy to have him continue and talk about defensive backs, specifically cornerbacks. Today we have the homie Deontay Lee joining us on the show. Deontay, what up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm over here jealous of that Mariners jersey, man. I got to get on. I got to give me one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rep, rep in hometown, uh, man. Uh, we, we, we happy to have you uh, on the show. For those who don't know, Deontay just joined uh, The Athletic. He's going to be one of our uh, staff writers covering the NFL draft. I jokingly told him I'm going to call him a draft expert, you know, mm-hmm. from now on. That just that just sounds better, you know, sound fancier. Already has helped me uh, at The Athletic. I just dropped a piece looking at some cornerback options for the Seahawks. And if you'll notice, Deontay's insights are in there. And he sounds far more knowledgeable about the topic than I. So that is why we're also bringing him on the show as well. Former linebacker at Sac State. Is that I got That's that right. right? That's right. That's yes, right. Sir. Played linebacker there for a few years. Um, people in Pacific Northwest should be pretty familiar with Andy Avalos, who's the head coach at Boise State. That was my position coach while I was there. So learn from some good ones. Learn from some pretty, pretty good ones. And currently coaching high school football. Got that right? That's correct. That's correct. I will say, just to kind of cut you off and sidetrack this whole thing, we can cover the draft, but one thing that we definitely <laughs> got to talk about is them Seattle dogs and how you oh my consume goodness. those and still ran a 4-8-40. Like, I got to get some clarity <laughs> on how that works because them two things don't look like they mix. All right, so, Chris, the the, the back <laughs> the backstory here is that uh, I think – I forget, somebody tweeted out the, a picture of a Seattle dog. I think mm-hmm. it was Mike Baker at the uh, New York Times, I want to say. And I was like, yo, this is fire. And shout-out to the homie Tashawn Reed, covers the Raiders yep. uh, for The Athletic. Tashawn is a food snob. Yes. He gets, he gets cooked for his opinions all the time. So I've been trying to get him to eat a Seattle dog. For those who don't know, the Seattle dog got the cream cheese, the dog itself. So you, 
some people put like sauerkraut or lettuce on there. I don't do that. But you get just your uh, grilled onions on there. Maybe throw some barbecue sauce. I'm from Seattle. Chris is from Seattle. Do you think Seattle dog? No, I don't think so. No, you never. So the reason why I'm not surprised Chris don't is because up here, the Seattle dog is more like, a, all right, I'm out drinking. And right outside the club, there's a, there's a truck. And I'm about to get it at two in the morning. Like that's kind of the bag, you know. Okay, a lot of so cities. I'm not that. as mad at that then. Okay, I'm not. Yeah, as mad at that. like it's, it's it's today. Let's just spoil it. Today's Thursday afternoon, right? Like neither one of us is gonna go get a Seattle dog right now. Right. <laughs> like the last time I had a Seattle dog, it was about two thirty in the morning. The line was crazy around the block, so I told a bunch of girls, "Hey, I'll cut y'all." And I'll buy all y'all dogs. Can I? Wow! I know I felt fire. Okay, what a move! That. I see you. Bro. I know I felt. That's why I was doing on the show. I pockets must have been heavy that <laughs> night. Boys said I'll pay for it. Carrying a different kind of bag. Yeah, <laughs> I felt good about that. One. But that was at like two thirty in the morning. But I, I would. The reason Deontay's bringing it up because I'm in a group chat. We're in a group chat together, and I was getting barbecued mm. for a, a good, good couple hours because <laughs> the group chat got a bunch of people from all over the country. A lot of people ain't been to Seattle. They seen the cream cheese on the dog and was like, "Mike, you are bugging." Yeah, and it's fire though. It's have probably. You ever had one, Chris? I actually have had a dog. It was actually not 2 a.m. It was around 11 p.m. You know, we were actually calling it a night a little early. And, yes, we did go to those little stands and get me a little crazy hot dog. And it had, like, relish. It was it was crazy with it. It was good, too. So I feel you on that. Yeah. It's it's not yeah, like right. a regular – it's not like a Sunday afternoon delicacy. It's more like Friday right. night. Right. I'm lit. Club just got out. I didn't get her number. So I'm uh-huh. hungry. Right. <laughs> you know, let me – I'm alone. That's your little consolation prize. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go home. At least I'm going to go home with a full belly, you know, because ain't right. nothing open around around here after about 2. two. It's not yeah. like other places around the country where you can get you, like, a full-ass full, full ass meal at, like, 3 in the morning. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much anywhere in the South, pretty much. So yeah, like, it's not like that up here. Gotcha. Like, you got to you gotta okay. basically go to the hot dog stand or IHOP. Deontay <laughs> said, yeah, I only do ketchup on my hot dogs, my friend. Yeah, bro. I'm- I don't, I don't know nothing about all the ingredients she said, and I'm <laughs> I'm spoiled, right? I'm spoiled because I live in San Diego. So when I hit those moments, it's somebody else selling tacos on the corner, right? Mm. Like, and they got the whole little grill set up, so they chopping up the carne asada right in front of me and all that. Mm. So I guess I'm I'm just blessed in a different way. I know that you know, <laughs> different places you got to make do with what you got. So you know, I'm, yes. I, I'm here. I'm here to identify, not not to judge. So I, I get it. I get it. I I just want everybody, Deontay included. If you guys come, anybody come to Seattle, I know some people who listen have hit me up. Uh, usually when they come to games, but if y'all here on like a Friday night, Saturday night, call me. We'll go out. We'll get your Seattle dog on me, because clearly, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll buy the dogs. Not chipping off that. And One, they're good, man. They're good. Another quick thing. I know we're we're being on a little tangent here, but I'm sure you saw the film on Mike's forty. Can you break mm-hmm. down what you saw and from this cornerback and what you see from him if he were to play in the NFL level? What, what could he bring to the table, if anything at all? So, number one thing, I got to give my guys flowers to start with. To run a 4A40 basically just on the strength, just because somebody asked you to do it, I was impressed. And he ran a 4A40 with a bad start. Like, if you go by what speed coaches would, would uh, yeah. judge it by. So, yep. if he had actually put in some time and trained, you know, went and met with Les Spellman and all those guys who work out at Speed City and all that, you might have been able to crack a 4-6. So, I was impressed with that. And I will say, like, the broad jump and all that, I'm like, all right, 
maybe you could play a little bit of corner. You know, hey. we'll kind of get into it a little bit. If they miss in the draft, they might be making a call to this podcast to get somebody <laughs> to go play in the slot. You know, <laughs> unrestricted free agent uh, right. Mike Duger. Is that how you right. say oh, Dugar? <laughs> Dugar is uh man. The problem is, boy, you have me playing this slot. I ain't no run fits, boy. I feel that. No, I feel that. Them days is behind me too, bro. You Business can have this yards. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Nah. Yeah, you bring me in on third and long <laughs> all day. Yeah, that, that. you want to play me on first and second down? Nah, I, I, I can't, I can't do it. I even got barbecued though in the group chat after the forty. It was like, how you like Deontay? So it was like, how you run a four eight with cream cheese and a hot dog? Yeah, in you? man. You know, everybody on that TV twelve method was they ain't even they ain't even eating berries out here and throwing <laughs> cream cheese in his stomach and run a four eight forties. Oh <laughs> man, that was a yeah. No, nah, it's. It, thankfully, I got thick skin. Boy, I was getting cooked there, and yeah. I had nothing. I Put had it on mute. To, and come back to it tomorrow. <laughs> I had nothing to defend the Seattle dog. All I can say is everybody got to try it, man. Yeah, it's just I want everybody who comes to Seattle. Tashawn's coming to Seattle. They play the Raiders. Play Seahawks here. Oh, nice. Okay, so I'm gonna make him eat a hot dog. I'll make make him eat a Seattle dog. But uh, okay. all right, we did get sidetracked for a little bit. But <laughs> thank you. For, I, I'm gonna defend that every time. I love me a Seattle dog. Right There's there some things you. about Seattle about, that I will not defend. The Seattle dog is one. So throw that out there. Uh, but let's let's talk let's talk cornerback play. You know, me and Chris are probably the biggest cornerback advocates there. Are. It's just our favorite position to watch. We we love it. We love it. We love it. Um, but that's what's so interesting about this offseason from Seattle's perspective. We really don't know what fits the mold of a Seattle quarterback cornerback anymore. Before it was like, all right, we need you to be six one, six six foot, thirty two inch arms, play some cover three, you know, bail technique, all that stuff, mm-hmm. be able to make plays on the ball. It was very obvious, like the mold was there. And then they've changed that. You know, you can't just run cover three all day. You'll get cooked right in the NFL. These guys are too smart. You know, it's, there's so many beaters for cover three, and all these quarterbacks can make all those throws. So now you got Pete Carroll kind of going more cover two, cover four, even cover six last year. Mm-hmm. He fires his defensive coordinator after his defense uh, had problems getting off the field, generating turnovers. And then he brings in all these guys who have these, these Vic Fangio backgrounds like Sean Desai. He brings in Carl Scott, who was in Minnesota and worked with Bama, uh, Nick Saban, where they're running a lot of match coverages as well. Um, they brought in one more person, Sean Desai, Carl Scott. That's going to bug me. Um, but basically they have guys who either work for Vic Fangio or have history with match coverages. So that's kind of, and, and two high looks is kind of what we're going on. So with that in mind, if I tell you that's the plan to be a little bit more aggressive, too high match coverage, uh, what kind of cornerbacks would be on the table for the Seahawks at nine? Like who fits that mold? Okay. So if we're talking like the top flight corners, then we're really kind of having a two player conversation and it's something that I'm planning on writing about next week as well. So I'll kind of double up on this cornerbacks conversation between what you worked on and what I'll be working on, but it's basically sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. Like those are the two guys I think that you kind of start this conversation with. You talk about guys who are tall, you know, have the length, have the athleticism, you know, very physical at the line of scrimmage when you talk about sauce and then kind of like a, a very technical refined, you know, prototype type of corner in Stingley. So that's what you have to start with. That's one of the things I think that's almost kind of like a misnomer when we talk about these two high coverages is everybody still has like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, Monty Kiffin era, Tampa two, you know, you think about Levy Smith and going to Chicago and taking that over there as well, where you're not asking your corners to do everything. And there is still a piece of that in the NFL, but for the most part, and when you talk about these match coverages, what that requires, if you want to play two high coverage cells is a corner who can stand 
stand up and one-on-one coverage that you don't have to think about, especially when you get in those one-on-one situations where it's like trips formations, all the wide receivers are on one side. You got a one-on-one corner opposite. You want a guy who can go live in that matchup and win it more times than not because it allows you to flood the coverage in different ways to the strong side of the formation and take away some of those quick throws and those intermediate windows. So that's kind of the first starting point. So, you know, if Stingley is available at nine and they're not trading or looking to get a quarterback or something to that, something to that uh, degree, then I would definitely be looking at a guy like Stingley or Gardner, whoever is a, the, the next one available at nine. You mentioned Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. How would you compare this quarterback's class compared to previous years? And some guys that I can think about is, you know, 2021, right? You have Patrick mm-hmm. Sertain Jr. and J.C. Horn. So based on what you've seen from those two guys and other cornerbacks in the NFL, what do you think about this upcoming class? Well, and I think about the draft before that, too, with A.J. Terrell and what he was able to do last season. So if I was to look to for young guys to comp them to, I would say that Stingley could be an A.J. Terrell-esque corner while not necessarily having that same top-tier speed that we know Terrell has. When you think about a guy who's kind of a technician, Terrell is pretty slight in his frame and his build, so he's not beating anybody up on the line of scrimmage. Where he wins at is having great feet, fluid hips, the ability to play at the top of the route, bottom of the route, et cetera, et cetera, at the catch point and all those things. That's who I think about with a guy like Stingley is A.J. Terrell. And then you think about like Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn. That's probably a little bit closer to who Sauce Gardner is. Talk about guys who really want to play with their hands, be physical at the line of scrimmage, try to bully guys. You know, you want to run with them step for step that classic bump and run style of corner. That's what Sauce Gardner is. Um, It's a coin flip for me. Like it all comes down to some stylistic preferences and I can nitpick with both. Like with Stingley, you can see some of the times where he kind of lets go in his focus. You definitely saw that in the last year and in the COVID season when he was healthy. You know, there are some times where it seems like he's almost bored out there. So, you know, and and he was kind of taking advantage of it, different points for that. And then with Sauce, you're talking about a corner that sometimes is a little bit too physical or maybe too reliant on the fact that he's 6'3 with long arms. He'll really start lunging and leaning on guys or letting them win at different points in the route on the assumption that he'll be able to get back in phase to break up the football. So those are the two things you can nitpick, but I don't think you can go wrong. And you can definitely look at the last couple of drafts and some guys who have all pro potential and think that these two can line up with those types of players. I mean, you mentioned these two guys and these in sauce Gardner and Derek Stanley, they are incredible. And, a, a big factor might have been the fact that they simply just were doing seven on seven. And for those who yes. don't know, seven on seven is taking over. I feel like any time in the summer you go to a football field, there is some sort of seven on seven going on. It's a passing league. And I just want to hear your thoughts on the evolution of those skill positions and what these young kids in high school are gaining, preparing them for college, whether they play or not, what they're gaining from it. And then ultimately when they get to the NFL, what are you seeing with the benefits of seven on seven? Um, I'm of two minds. So if you ask coach me, I'm going to roll my eyes until they're stuck in the back. Of my head. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't like the fact that I got to give my weekends up in the spring, man. You know, fall <laughs> is its own thing. I don't mind devo- devoting all that time, but having to be out on the field for hours on end watching guys in tights, you know, and they have the snowboarding goggles and headbands and all that. Like it makes me, every time I step out there, I start feeling like my dad, like I'm some 50 year old man going, this ain't even football. I catch myself with that but if I kind of take a step away from myself and kind of the way that I look at it and I take a look at football and the scope of it in full I mean you can't not make that connection with corners receivers and quarterbacks specifically and all the development that's available to you right you know 
if, if you're if you're a believer in that Malcolm Gladwellian 10,000 hours type of theory and mastering your craft, that's where things like that happen. It's getting the repetitions all throughout the spring when you don't have to worry about a bunch of contact. Right. The risk of injury isn't as high. You just get to go out there, get your reps in. Quarterbacks get to read coverages. Wide receivers get to work all these releases against press coverage, off coverage, zone, man, your match coverages. You know, so you get all these looks. And I think that, you know, with Jerry Judy, I remember, you know, the talk around him was that's a guy who, you know, since he was eight, nine years old. Right. He's probably been traveling around the country going Mm. against, you know, the best of the best in the country, right? Doing, doing seven on seven. And that's a great way to get exposure and develop your skill set. So it's not just running seven on seven. It's the fact that these top tier, you know, seven on seven teams, these invite only type of teams. I know there are great ones out in Houston and Dallas, Miami, in Louisiana, in California for certain, where you get to come together and it's maybe, you know, 15 blue chip guys, four or five star guys in high school. And they're going all up and down the country playing up against other blue chip guys for hours and hours on end. You know, so the ways in which you can develop yourself in that type of um, environment, I think, has added a lot to what we see. And it's probably a big reason why it feels like every year we say there are six or seven wide receivers that can turn out to be number one Pro Bowl type guys. You know, I think that that's going to continue both on the wide receiver side and with these defensive backs that can come in and play this one on one lockdown style of coverage. Mm. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Not to put you on the spot here, but do you know when 7-on-7 like took off? Like, Can you pinpoint it? Oof. Can I pinpoint it? I can speak to from what I've seen um, being in Southern California. I would say it probably really took off in popularity within that five-year period after I had graduated high school. So we're talking from like 2011 and 2016 is really when I think that things started to take off 
at a different level. Obviously, yeah. in Texas, that had already been a big deal. I just think that the national embrace of it and the recruiting opportunities, which I think is really the bigger thing, has really grown, you know, between 2011 and 2016, where a kid who plays maybe in some small town, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, whether it's California, Arizona, whatever, you know, maybe you get on a seven on seven team and you're traveling out to go play at Vegas, you know, and everybody mm. in the Pac-12 has a scout out there or a position coach out there hanging out and now you get to shake hands with people or you get in front of these 247 rivals on three scouts and evaluators and now a guy who has no who had no profile is a three-star and now you know coaches are calling hey you saw this kid you gave him a three-star what do you see in them do we need to go you know devote our time and now you just kind of get that sharing of information so I think it's almost a confluence of events so the growth of it over that half decade period, like I was mentioning, as well as the boom in what we've seen in terms of social media and the integration of social media into the sports uh, sphere. I think that's opened up a lot of opportunities for these guys to not only be developed, but get noticed, you know, for the talents that they are in the first place. So I think that it's added a lot to the game in those ways. Yeah, Mike and I graduated in 2010 and I didn't hear a hint about no seven on seven. The closest Same. thing to it was flag football on a Saturday with your homies. <laughs> Same. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, we had our little team seven on seven thing because we would throw at yeah. San Diego State, but you weren't traveling. You went mm. on, you tell your head coach you're going to travel on a seven on seven team. You might as well tell him you're transferring because it sounds like it sounds like you an op now, you know? What you mean you must go throw, you must go throw and catch with a coach that don't play that don't uh, work here. So it, it's definitely a much different kind of context now that we're looking at in the football world. Let's get into the nitty gritty. And those are specific players in this draft class that stand out top guys at the cornerback position. And one guy we mentioned a couple of times already is Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati, 6'3", mm-hmm. built like, you know, Sherman type body. Right. Isn't this what Pete Carroll would want out of a corner? So if he is available at nine, wouldn't it make sense for the Seahawks just to go, you know what, this guy never gave up a touchdown. What are we, what are we missing out on here? I mean, to me, yeah, it's obvious. Even even if we weren't looking at the Brown and the Brandon Brown or Richard Sherman, you know that type of archetype of corner where you want a guy who's six one, six two, six three. They meet the arm length requirements that I know that they've had there. You know, they test the way that you need to. I know they obviously don't use Spark as the same kind of measuring stick that they did. You know, when Pete first started there, but they have all the explosiveness and, and speed and agility metrics that you're looking for. It doesn't matter if you're trying to depart from whatever your old archetype was that sauce just looks like a good corner looks like a great corner you know so there there's no reason to skip on that even if you are trying to go undergo an identity shift and that is a guy that can play tight man coverage right he can play quarters he can play cover three and to your point of not giving up a touchdown i mean that says a lot that says a lot you know especially in a group of five where you get these wide open gimmicky styles of offenses where every pass is an rpo or play action and it's max protection and it's really just you by yourself up the sideline you know to be able to play great coverage all throughout his career in that way can uh, you know even in the playoff game you know Alabama for all the talent that they had at receiver weren't able to take advantage of him either and I think that that speaks well to just how refined and prepared he is and how much he knows about how to use his body and his athleticism to his advantage. With the positive, there also is some negative. What are some concerns outside of injuries, that is, that you look at Sauce and you say, here's where you can improve on at the next level? I just think that there are times where he gets a little bit too physical, a little too aggressive, too handsy. Um, You can see him kind of lean on guys, kind of lunge at guys. You can tell, you know, if he gets to a certain point in the game where he feels like, 
he maybe needs to dominate a wide receiver instead of just cover him and he wants to be a bully at the line of scrimmage stuff like that he may struggle with early in his career in the NFL not to the not to necessarily to a major detriment but it's an adjustment that'll definitely need to make is dealing with wide receivers who have a wide array of releases that have a plan for dealing with long corners right you know if he gets stuck on the inside is he going to have the kind of fluidity in his feet and hips you know if he's tracking with the guy a man-to-man coverage and he runs in motion you know or he has a two-way go on the guy and he's not out on the sideline is he going to be able to handle guys like that without being able to use press you know or without being able to use the sideline as his friend so those are some things that I do think that he still needs to kind of I need to get a look at you know and I still think he he needs to put some tape up on you know based on what he was asked to do or not asked to do at Cincinnati so it's very small but those are the types of little nuances that he'll definitely have to iron out early in his career in my opinion i mean yeah that makes sense i mean i was thinking i remember uh, some guys in the seahawks uh defensive back room kind of talking to me about that when the when sean mcveigh really started cooking them like right. early it was like well yeah we couldn't get our hands on guys because right. they would just do these tight splits right. you know and put guys in motion so it's like yeah we, i can cover robert woods if he's just out in the boundary and it's just me and him but right. you put him right next to cooper cup and tyler higby you know mm-hmm. on the same side of formation i can't can't get my hands on them. That gets tricky on third down. So yeah, like right. coming to the NFC West, boy, you get in there, get you right. I mean, come against gonna Kyle you Shanahan. You're gonna get put through the ringer. They're gonna put yep. you through the ringer for sure. Yeah, and it's not like well, the honestly, when you think of it that way, almost like playing the Cardinals is not is like the quote unquote easier matchup. I don't want right. to say easier because D Hop is different, but right. like it's 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 a different bag when you're just all right. D Hop's on the he's to the left of the formation. He's their mm-hmm. X receiver. It's right. just me and him on third and just nine. Me like and I him. can. Yeah, I can do this versus all right, man, it's second and nine, but Robert Woods is standing right next to Cooper Cup. Like, mm-hmm. what do I I can't get my hands on him now? And, you know, right. Cooper Cup's just disgusting. Like that would be interesting to see if they do get sauce. I don't think they will. Yeah, but probably if not. If they were to get him, like how he would fare in that. And I guess I'll throw that I'll segue that same question to like Derek Stingley. Like if let's cause I think he will be there at nine. And I think that Pete Carroll would would probably take him if he was there. So with him, if he if because he does seem like that guy, it's like all right. I'm I guess the X. I'm outside. I can do it. What? How would he fare? You think in those situations where he does have to follow a Cooper Cup in motion, you know, and and handle that matchup? So to me, I think that if I'm Stingley, that's would be that would be my selling point. When I go and I interview with these teams and I'm speaking with head coaches and GMs, I think the best thing that he can say is, "Yes, I can go be a number one corner." But if you need me to be a Jalen Ramsey type where, hey, on first down, you need me to line up in the slot because we've got to deal with, you know, the potential of perimeter run, RPO and play action, or this is the best way for us to run X coverage, I'll go do that as well. And I think that he has the ability to do so because he's so light on his feet and so patient in his coverage technique. That, to me, I think is what he should lean into is the fact that he can tap into a level of versatility that I think wasn't even really asked of him in his time at LSU. Um, And one of the things that I kind of think about with him, and we never think about non-quarterbacks in this manner, but this is, you know, for as talented as he is, a corner that dealt with three defensive coordinators in three seasons, basically, right? Mm. Plus all of the fallout that came from post-2019 in LSU and the issues with Ed Orgeron, the issues with that program and some of the Title IX issues that they've had. I can only imagine the cloud of distractions that was going on. And I think that they got hit, you know, particularly hard in the COVID season with an outbreak and people trying to get healthy and, you know, maybe not having the best kind of communication or operations set up to be able to manage that. So when I look at him, my big thing is when he's in 
a professional organization. And I think that this is the same conversation I have with Kayvon Thibodeau as an edge rusher. You take him away from maybe all of the other things, all of the potential distractions, and it's just football, and he can lock back in on that. I think that you can look at a player like a Patrick Sertan and say, there's no reason why he can't be our version of that. Even if it doesn't look like all pro level Patrick Sertan in year one, right? That's probably not a sustainable model to be basing things off of. He can certainly do that kind of job. And I think that he's good enough as a tackler and willing enough to show up and run support that you can move the guy around if need be. And he can play in your zones, your man, your match coverages and do a lot. So that kind of versatility that I think he can tap into might be his best selling point in the NFL. Oh, man, I really like the idea of of taking Stingley, man. It's, I, I'm biased because, you know, we love I've, DBs around I've, here. I've said this, man. The Seahawks either go O-line or DB. I'm okay yeah. with the quarterback situation, even though I know Mike is like, I don't yeah, know. Speak for yourself, Dan. Speak for yourself. <laughs> at, this, at this point, if, if they can bolster up the defense and get Stingley or Sauce, I'm okay with it. And that's if they're there still available, obviously. Right. But, yeah, I the, feel it. The tricky part is that both with corner and tackle – our if, needs. It, well, it's not even that just their needs. Like the later you get in the draft, the harder it is to get a plug True. and play. Yeah. Exactly. It's not the same as receiver or even edge to this, but mostly receiver and running back and even guard and center. Like, all right, mm-hmm. if I don't take this guy at the 15th pick, I can probably get a guy at 45. Yeah. Right. You know, like you can, Maybe he's you not can, an all pro, that. but he can play. He'll start. Right. He'll be yeah. fine type of thing. You, so, yeah, you can have that mindset tough. with different positions, but corner and tackle? No, no, no. Yeah, don't you, let me you wait to the third round, boy. You're, 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 you're playing yeah. on fire. Yeah. yeah I just got to ask Mike, you know, you're not trying to rap along to Jeezy with your quarterback? Oh, my God. You ain't God. got no Jeezy bars for your quarterback? You know, I shouted out to Sean early. <laughs> I take it back now because he keeps trying to push Drew Locke on me because, you know, they both went <laughs> oh, to Mizzou. I, yeah, so I'm, I like, I'm already knowing. It's not even that. So here's my thing with Drew. We get the sidetrack here. But this is important because Drew Locke does got some sauce, no pun intended. But. The thing with me as a player is Pete Carroll is trying to sell me on him. Not just me, but the whole fan base. Right. Sell the fan base and the media on him using a five-game sample in 2019, largely. Right. Pete's just like, hey, you know, like he played well in 2019, and they changed OCs, pandemic, and then that's why his numbers, so he tried to force things. He got benched mm-hmm. for Teddy Bridgewater. But if we can get him like his rookie year, yeah. then we got this. And I'm just like, mm, okay, Pete, there's a thing. It's called sample size, right. and it matters. You right. just only give me five games in the back half of a year when no one had tape on him. Mm-hmm. And that I'm just not buying it. And even then you go look at that five game sample. It's not like he was Brett Favre in that <laughs> right. stretch. Like he was he was fine. Do like seven right. touchdowns, yeah. three picks. Yeah, he had a right. game against the Chiefs in the snow where he had the worst uh uh QBR of the week that year. It was like 14 point something. Very bad game. So like if if Drew's there, that's fine. I just think that if you're if if you come in telling me, hey, Mike, if he's because I asked Pete at the press conference, I said, hey, do you think you want to Super Bowl him? It's like, well, yeah, if he plays like he did in 2019. <laughs> well, like, well yeah. OK, it was five games. Right. That's, yeah. that's a big stretch. That's not that's it was a small stretch, really. And that's that's my issue there. But I do think he'll he'll he'll, he'll no, I'm saying it's a big stretch. Yeah, that no, you a Super Bowl. Oh, big my apologies. Yeah, 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 sorry about yeah. that. Like that's. That's a big yeah, no. that's, that's I, I get problem. it. I mean, as a USC guy, I get it. I love my guy Pete, but he can definitely be a little disingenuous in some of his answers. Just, just, just <laughs> yeah. Little, well, just the problem is I he believes that though. That's the scary part. Like I right. do think he sees that, you know, he likes to see the good in people. You know, right. um, I was just I've yeah, I keep bringing it to Sean, but I was just telling Tashawn that about Derek Carr. Derek Carr mm-hmm. really likes to see the good in people, whether it's John mm-hmm. Gruden after the emails, Henry Ruggs right. after the car Henry accident. Ruggs. Right. Yeah. Even with his contract, Derek Carr saying that um 
I took less so that they can sign more people, you know, because last right. time I got paid, Khalil Mack got bounced. Now, right. that's Derek should understand that's really not how that worked. But exactly. in his mind, he's trying to see the best in the Raiders. Like, hey, right. if I do this, you guys will do what's in the best interest of me and the team and us winning the championship, right or wrong. Right. Pete when literally like, everybody else is looking at it like, no, I think this contract is structured to where if you don't knock this out the park, then you're probably out of here. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Pete Pete wants to see the best in, in everyone. And that's tough because obviously he cuts people and trades people. But like right. at, he sees the best in Geno Smith. Same thing. His my issue with him and his Geno Smith like praise is not that Geno's a good or bad player. It's that Pete keeps trying to sell me. Look how good he played against Jacksonville, <laughs> and it's just like that's a a small sample size in a three game right. sample, and b that's that might be the it was Jacksonville, <laughs> it was Jacksonville during Urban Meyer's tenure, which might be the right. worst one year tenure of any NFL coach, right. you know, in the modern era. Like that's the sample size, Pete. Like yeah, he Geno tore up. The Jags that week. I was there. He completed right. like 13 straight passes. It was, was yeah, it? 14 straight passes to start the game and cook them. It's the Jags. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that right. that's 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 my issue there. So Pete, uh, Chris might be cool with the quarterback situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm all in on Desmond Ritter at nine if they want to do that. I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that. I'm getting cooked for that too in different group chats. As well. I like I like the idea. Hey of a man, guy what who's what is it about you, bro? That just brings it out of people. <laughs> I don't know because you know here's okay. We're talking cornerbacks, but like Deontay is my thing with Desmond. We talked about this with Jordan Reed at ESPN on our last uh, when we did our quarterback episode. Mm-hmm. My thing with him is if you ask him to function within the structure of the offense, he can in theory do that. Like right. today. Right. You know, or at least give me a training camp in OTAs and he'll be able to get that done. Where Even if he doesn't have a highest ceiling as someone like Malik or even anybody mm-hmm. else in there. If if you can come in and just not be triple axling in the backfield and just right. hit a backside dig on third down. Right. Hey, man, I'll take that. You man. can work with that. Right. Yes, I can work with that. I can work with Malik Willis, too. But it's like if I have to wait a year to work mm-hmm. with that. Well, I'm trying to win right now because I'll get fired. Right. If if I have to throw Gino or Drew out there and wait for Malik to get right. Mm-hmm. I could be fired by MLK day, you know, right. in January. Like that's, that's not funny, but damn. No. No, I mean, <laughs> I'd like to put a date on it so people can understand, can feel it. Homie had to bring in the MLK day for because it. Because that's, that's, that's what kind of black Monday is around now. Right. Cause we pushed it out for 18 weeks. So like black Monday kind of hits around MLK day. It was really sucks to be a black coach. <laughs> yeah. For real. For real. Like, wake, yeah. What you say to me and my ancestors, bro. <laughs> You wake up, you about to tweet you a MLK quote right. celebrating. You get, get that text from the office like, hey, we need right. to meet. Like, Bring on. all your things, your yeah, iPad. Now, man, nah, man Lovey Smith better be careful. This is MLK day, man. You never know over there, you know, the way te- the Texans is getting down. Right. Uh, but I, I, got, I got one more question going back to Stingley. Because um, uh-huh. the, thing, the thing is, with his sample size of his career, got 2019 where he looked like one of the best players in college football on any right. side of the ball. And in 2020, he gets hurt, yes. I think he had illness and a leg injury mm-hmm. in 2020, and then it broke his foot, I believe, in 2021. Right. But the, just a lot of people who watch more tape than Chris and I do suggested, like, that just the tape looked different, independent of health, in those last mm-hmm. two years. So which version of this of Stingley would the Seahawks be getting, that 2019 version or the one we saw the last two years? I would say the optimist in me says that the 2019 version is still there in him. It it just does not flash as often as we saw in his freshman season. Now, part of that is the fact that, you know, 
at LSU dealing with these elite offenses that we're seeing in the SEC, they had a complete talent drain on defense. That's one of the things that I do look at. They basically lost they lost all the linebacking core that they had. You lose Grant Delpit, right? You lose your your front talent that they had. That basically that entire 2019 team that was draft eligible damn near went on to play in the NFL. So it, it's difficult when you're a corner and it's just you on an island and you kind of can't trust nine of the other players that you're on the field with to execute on a snap by snap basis. And they're implementing all these new defenses. So I think if he's in an ecosystem, especially with some of the guys you name, Sean Desai, who we know has a reputation to being one of the strongest DB coaches in the NFL. You have Carl Scott, who to your point comes from that saving tree has coached some of the best defensive backs that have come out of Alabama and gone on to play in the league. You have Pete Carroll, who's a, who's been, you know, who's a defensive guy, a DB guy by trade. So I would trust him in that kind of ecosystem. I don't think that with Stingley, that's something that can just blindly translate everywhere. Like my biggest thing with him is don't make the assumption that he can just step in and be AJ Terrell, where you're playing on a bad defense, but you can still be an all pro by yourself. I think that he needs to be in the right kind of ecosystem for him to kind of develop in the way that he needs to. And I think that getting the kind of coaching and development that would be available in, in Seattle will give him an opportunity to play more consistently to that 2019 level and maybe not as up and down as people say he was in 2020 and 2021. Cause a lot of that, I still think is a little overblown. All right. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that pick. Just like I talked myself into Desmond Ritter. <laughs> talking I've, I've talked myself Sting- into <laughs> to Derek Stingley Jr. as well. I would, I would definitely be a fan of that. And I think like to, to Deontay's point about having talent around you, I do think that like even just having two good safeties yes. behind you in Jamal Adams oh, and, and Quandre Diggs can help a young corner a lot mm-hmm. versus coming in and like needing to be the best player in the secondary. Right. As a rookie, I think that, you know, two Pro Bowl corner or two Pro Bowl safeties, you know, I know Jamal Adams is a whole different topic around here. Is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, polarizing we'll that. Pol- yeah, polarizing we don't, don't got to go there today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm pro Jamal Adams. That's my stance there. But yeah, I think that can help, uh, Derek as well. Let's, let's go to, uh, let's go to, uh, local guy. Uh, me and Chris both graduated from Washington State, but we're all okay. right talking about two Huskies on the program because that's how much we respect cornerback player. Right? We're willing to talk about a program that really is churning them out, you know, when they mm-hmm. had uh, uh, Jimmy Lake over there. Um, so let's talk about Kyler Gordon, um, really productive guy on the ball. Um, and when we did that story kind of together uh, for the athletic, like you, you said, he checks all the boxes, you know, can, can play man, uh, just can force turnovers, can mm-hmm. play a bunch of different techniques. Um can be in a bunch of different schemes in the NFL. So I want to stick to the to the ball production in particular because that's really where uh, the Seahawks have had some issues the last few years. They were really bad at forcing turnovers last year. I think their cornerback group only had two interceptions, and they were mm-hmm. both by DJ Reed in Week 16 against Tim Boyle, I think. Yeah, I think the, whoever the Lions quarterback yes. was at that time. Yeah, right. backup Tim Boyle, yep. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. same game. So that that's how bad it was. Kyler last year had uh, nine passes defense, you know, two interceptions. He had 14 passes defense for his uh, – the last three years of his career at Washington. So what about the way he was able to be productive on the ball can translate to the NFL? This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
I think a lot of that comes to that versatility, the ability to play different techniques and kind of be scheme proof as a defensive back. Like I hold him in the same conversation. And I don't know if everybody else in the draft does in the ways that people talked about Andrew Booth from Clemson, right? Where you talk about a guy who can kind of fit in anywhere, can run your zones, your mans, play impress, play off, play inside and out. That's the exact type of way that I feel about Kyler Gordon. And to your point about those ball skills, right? Like one of the things, as you were mentioning, is Washington's reputation now for taking some of these undersized or maybe not ideally sized defensive backs and still being able to develop them into plus man-to-man tight coverage type of players. Um, And you see when he is targeted that he's great with his body positioning for a guy who's not going to be hulking over you in the way that a sauce gardener might be. And that ability to kind of finish through the hands or be able to get into these passing windows. That's the thing that I think kind of excites me most is that it's not just that he's a guy who can play all these different techniques and schemes and just be okay, right, or not give up explosive plays with somebody who's confident enough in spite of the fact that it's not like he was some four-year starter to be able to go out and make plays at the highest point, at the catch point, against different routes, even when they're breaking away from his leverage or he's not in the best position at first to be able to go break up the ball. I think he's done a great job of showing the fact that he has those skills and you add that on top of his versatility, and I think that he makes for an ideal type of day-two cornerback, and that's exactly where I think that his range will end up being. Sticking with the Huskies, I want to look at cornerback Trent McDuffie. When you watch the tape on him, what stood out and said, yeah, this dude can ball. He'll be someone that a team will love to have in their system. To me, it's it's that technician mentality, right? The the live feet, the ability to go in all 360 degrees of direct, change of direction. Um, that's the first thing that you see. And it makes a lot of sense given his size, right? He's a pretty compact dude, not the tallest guy in the world, but he's got great fluidity and that allows him to cover a bunch of different routes and different styles of receivers that you might assume would just have an advantage on him physically. Um, and then you talk about some of the you know intangible stuff. And I know got people's eyes glaze over when you start talking in certain platitudes, but I do think that when you discuss things like competitiveness, that drive, you know, the ability to play through adversity, I think that that's something that applies to a guy like Trent McDuffie because for all of the issues that I think Washington had between 2020 and 2021, his play never wavered. He was always the best defensive back on that roster, and that was something that you could close your eyes, turn your back, and never have to worry about. Um, And I think that that speaks volumes to the type of player and the type of focus that he has and the pride that he takes in playing the position. So if he's in a situation where, you know, and I do think that you have to have real conversations about whether or not you can play a guy with, you know, sub 30 inch arms outside. I do think that's a real world concern for him, especially in the NFC West, where, Mm. you know, you're going to be dealing with some high level receivers. You know, that that is something that you have to be concerned about. But I do think if you can play him inside, you know, for the most part, do what teams do what uh, the Rams did with Darius Williams, right, where you can play him inside until it becomes untenable. And then he can go guard either the best or second best wide receiver out on the perimeter and you can roll the coverage opposite of him. You know, or if he has a a physical mismatch, you can roll a safety over the top of him and, and he can play kind of that soft cover two corner type of zone. So. I think you can do a lot with that guy. And the thing that I think I like the most about him is kind of what I was describing, that footwork, that hip fluidity, that ability to cover 360 degrees worth of routes because of how good he is with his technique. Well, I, I know, right? I know. That, that sounds serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
at UW did play a lot of man there, and in the NFL, it's man zone. They want you. They throw a lot of things at you. And the Seahawks this season, they were potentially trying something new as well. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on his ability to actually learn and be able to play that zone coverage at the next level? I don't really have any doubts or concerns about it because a lot of this stuff kind of comes. The better zone coverage players, they do a lot of it on feel instincts repetition and understanding what offenses are trying to do to him again using another nfc uh west example and he's not a db but you look at what makes um a player like fred warner so special it's not just that he's a freak athlete right it's the fact that he has these this top tier top level understanding of what offenses are trying to do in his area of the field so he knows how to play different windows what kind of routes you're going to get based on releases a lot of that is just your mental acuity and that's something that i really trust in a player like trent to be able to pick up on Hey, if I'm in cover two, you know, and we're playing up against the Vikings and they get in a tight split, I know that Justin Jefferson might do X, Y, and Z things. So let me play this route and trust that Harrison Smith can can cover for me over the top. Those are the types of things that it comes down to. And I think that he would certainly have the ability to do so. The only issue with him is playing in zone or playing inside is that means more of being involved in the run game. Right. And that's something that he's going to have to answer for in the NFL, because, you know, one thing that you can guarantee is that if there's a DB who's a little slight in stature, these offensive coordinators are smart enough to design the entire game plan after trying to expose that or or create create an area of stress so big that as a defensive coach, you have to make a decision on whether or not you're comfortable putting guys in certain positions. So that's really the only question I think that he has to answer. Yeah, and there's so many schemes that in uh, today in the NFL that are like as as pass heavy as the league is. You'll get a, you'll talk to a lot of defensive coordinators in the league and be like, "Hey, this week we want to stop the run." Yeah. Like that's just even in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, "Hey, Pete's like we want to stop the run first, make them be one dimensional, and when they do throw it, unleash our our uh, their the NASCAR package is called something right. else, cheetah." called their cheetah yep. package yep. unleash their cheetah package get all their rushers in there and try to go kill your quarterback right. which works sometimes it just has <laughs> in, in, in the last few years um all right that pain in my heart to talk about huskies so we're gonna move on uh, mm-hmm. not to any not to any kooks although we could talk about jalen watson a little bit but i want to go to some guy probably my favorite guy that i've since i've been kind of digging into cornerbacks a little bit is cam taylor Britt uh from nebraska i mean this i, I like this guy like it's as if they're gonna take a guy in the second round like if they don't get stingley like all right we can just wait till day two i'm like all right pete i hear you go get the kid from nebraska who just likes to hit the hell out of people right. uh and and can cover and i forget what his 40 was but boy that that, that four, kid four. Can i know that much oh yeah he ran he ran four three eight mm-hmm. so like yeah no this kid can scoot he can hit and he can cover, man. I, I need you, even if, even if, uh, like I think, I think you might have mentioned this as well. I think Dame Brugler uh, at the Athletic as well. His kind of scouting report suggests that you got to put him in like a cover three scheme. and probably would be he would be best. I think that's kind of what Nebraska ran uh, mm-hmm. as well. Even if the Seahawks aren't going to do that, if they are going to do these two high looks, like can Cam fit here? Even if it's a lie, just lie to me real quick and tell me he can't because I kind of want <laughs> no, this guy in Seattle now. <laughs> I feel you. No, I, I say that he can fit, and it doesn't have to be cover three specifically Mm, it's more so that he's just an off corner he's not really a press corner that's not his best use 
Um, you know, I, in, in your piece and what you were kind of writing in your own analysis, kind of borrowing off of what you've watched and then maybe what Brewer and I were saying, you know, I think that you are accurate in your in your evaluation that he's good at playing those bail techniques, playing in the sidecar, you know, playing on the top hip of the wide receiver, trying to keep everything in front of him and then using that sub four, four speed when the ball is in the air to try to go dislodge the football if he can't get his hands on it himself. You know, so to your point of him not being afraid to go stick his nose in, you know, and go meet a wide receiver at the highest point with his shoulder. That's something that I like to see in his game. The only thing that he's missing is what I mentioned, and that's the fact that he's not an uptight, in-your-face, press man coverage corner. In spite of the fact that I think that he has a wingspan that's a little bit bigger than his height would suggest, you know, and I think that his size should allow him to do so. So maybe that's something that you can work towards later on, and that might make him like an ideal number two corner type and somebody you can go get in the second or third round. Yeah, because I do think – uh, as much as I just said, like, guys, are you got to take them in the first round with, like, corners and tackles. Like, I do think in this particular draft, I mean, it's probably been true in the last couple of drafts, there are, there's some value on day two here. Like, Seattle having picks 40 and 41, like, they can they can address some issues with 9, 40, and 40. Well, they need to because they're right? Right. <laughs> lacking some talent at some very important <laughs> spots right now. Like, they can get <laughs> some guys. And, man, like, I, I encourage everyone right now, once the podcast is over, if you're already on YouTube, close. Uh, just go over to Cam T- Taylor Brent highlights it just be like oh man no this I dude there were there are a couple of your stories yeah i put some in my story that jim nagy uh someone try to you know give him a shoulder he didn't go down gets up chases homie down i'm like yo that's that's insane and then he got caught in the backfield looking as a i think he was playing cover three and decided to just keep his eyes in the backfield felt the receiver going up the sideline realized oh i'm beat and then put the burners on and made an interception like mm-hmm. the average cornerback is not doing that <laughs> you right. get caught in the backfield looking it's a touchdown and now your right. coach is getting chewing you out saying what were yes. you doing you know what we call this play <laughs> why are you doing this you know so yeah he's talented for sure yeah no and i think he's he's listed 510 196 well he was 207 at pro day that's a huge gap <laughs> Boy started eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was eating a lot of snickers uh from between combine <laughs> and pro day uh right. it, it, with 31 and a half inch arms 31 and a quarter at pro day so yeah like some long arms Decent size, good speed, willing to go stick his nose in there, which Pete Carroll um, and Clint Hurt, the new defensive love. coordinator, will mm-hmm. love. So that, like, like I said, those you got to be able to fit that run stuff. That's where I like if the Seahawks call me. It's like, hey man, no <laughs> obvious <laughs> passing downs only, buddy. I'm a buck right. sixty five package. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah. who are we playing this year? Oh, the Chargers. They run a lot. Maybe the Chiefs will bring you in there, Mike. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I to, I'm, I'm not. I'm not last. And, I, and that's another thing. I'm not doing special teams. It's over. <laughs> You're not running down the field on punt. You're not yeah. throwing your body on the line. Oh man, I, if I am, I am praying for a touch. I am praying <laughs> for a touchback because that is oh no no the special teams give that, your paycheck give give a little bit of your paycheck to the kicker and be like hey bro every time you get in the end zone that's another right. kick it out of bounds bro like if coach <laughs> finds you out yeah like I said like you said I'll, I'll chip in because that's no no I'm not I'm not running down on, on special teams like I said Cam, Cam Taylor Britt has kind of become one of my favorite uh, guys Just, I think the value uh, could be there because I still think they need to get a guy they can potentially start day one like yeah. they have Sidney Jones they have mm-hmm. um Trey Brown who I really like yeah. uh, at Oklahoma a smaller guy just like uh, some of these guys are mentioning it was physical like I like mm-hmm. I like the idea of a Trey Brown and Cam Britt Taylor Britt on the on just opposite side mighty Mike like you only get guys who are like 510 but you're getting right. 510 feisty motherfuckers and I like, yeah right. exactly. I like that if you're gonna be small play big if that makes yes, sense sir. I do I do like that that said in perfect segue <laughs> we'll talk about a big guy I want to mm-hmm. talk about uh, Tariq Woolen from was it UTSA. 
Like this dude is the opposite of everything we just kind of been talking about. He's 6'4, 205. Combine time was 426. Yes. Like that's that is disgusting. And now he's a little bit more raw than some of the other guys. And that you talked you talked about that. And basically every scouting report you find in this guy mentions that some version of the word raw or needs to develop or the word mm-hmm. project, like it's all in there. It's not as clear cut, like, hey, plug this guy in. By the time you come out of training camp, he'll be on your you know top of your depth chart. Um, why? Wh- what does he need to maybe develop or get better at before he's ready to be a, a full time starter in the NFL? I think that it's all about play style based on your size. So for his size, it don't matter where he gets drafted. The idea is going to be a six four corner that's over two hundred pounds and has mm. almost thirty four inch arms. You got to be at the line of scrimmage playing press technique. You know, we've got to at least try to see if that's something that you can do. Um, so that that to me will be the the major area of development. And then it's not like he's walking in the door with Trevon Diggs level of ball skills. Right. Like that is one thing that we have to credit somebody like a Diggs is that he can find the ball. He makes plays on the football all the time. That's not to say that Willen can't at all. But at the NFL level, when you're raw in your technique, when guys can get behind you because of where you're looking or not looking, um, your understanding of adjustments based on formations and different technical you know, int- intricacies, those are the types of things that he's going to have to kind of shore himself up on if he wants to be the top flight corner that he can be. The thing to me is that, you know, specific to the Seahawks, if you're in a situation where you miss out on Gardner, you miss out on Stingley, Maybe you get one of the corners in day two that you you like but don't love, and this guy is available. On tools alone, I think that you have to pull the trigger on something like that, right? Like it's it would be really hard, you know, when you're debating round four through seven, when you're talking about a lot of guys who are probably right at, you know, if not just above or just below certain baselines in terms of NFL athleticism, when you get your eyes on a guy who looks the part, you know, has the speed and I think is enough of a ball of clay for you to be able to kind of mold however it is that you want to, I would never protest taking a chance on that, especially later on in the draft where it's not like to your point, you're expecting them to show up day one of training camp. Hey, one-on-ones, your first rep is going to be against DK Metcalf and we're expecting you to go win that. Right. Mm. Like that's, that wouldn't be the situation or the expectation, which would probably be best for him because he is going to need a little bit of time. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy. Like anybody here, like they're getting the crash course and coverage. And when you, when you walk in as a rookie and your guys are DK Metcalf and Tyler, Tyler Lockett. Lockett. like, yeah, like boy, that. That, yeah, Chris, Chris, uh, Chris always comes to training camp, uh, around the time that they start doing the one-on-one drills. And, uh, cause you know, you gotta have pads on for that. So the yeah. CBA relax, takes like five or seven days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Chris shows up then and that's the best drill of the whole day <laughs> Right, is just seeing who can cover DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Like that's really it. Cause you really don't get no help. There's no pass rush and it's right. not like, like in seven on seven, sometimes they have the little timer yeah. that goes off after a few seconds. There's none of that. So the right. quarterback can just stand back there. And you just got to mm-hmm. cover DK Metcalf. No help <laughs> right. in front of everybody. Thousands no of fans, rush, coaches. Nothing. Oh, it's 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 a it's a treat. But like the thing about Tariq is like, dude, it's he's two six four, two oh five. He had arms were 34 inches at pro day, 33 and five eighths at, at the combine. Like that's somebody looking DK in the eye yeah. right. at the snap. Right. And can run with him. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty special, on, man. man. Special no. tools, special tools. I feel like he's a hidden gem, and maybe the Seahawks should take a risk on him just because the Seahawks take risk on everybody. <laughs> at this right. point, Mike can, go, Mike can go look back at the draft and just be like, oh, took a risk on this guy. Did it work out? So you, at this point, with everything you're saying, I think 
the Seahawks should seriously take a look at him, considering they don't take a guy in the first yeah, round. If they right? don't get some of the other guys we talked because about, right. yeah. this is something you don't see often. I think exactly. the Seahawks, like Pete Carroll, I'm sure can coach him up. The DBs coach can definitely fine tune him. It'd be an interesting prospect. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like this is a guy you that talked might... yourself into him now. I really, just <laughs> I really have. And right. Go ahead, Deontay. No, I mean he's a guy that I like. I'm sure. I mean, you guys are much closer to the situation, so you can speak on it better than I can. But I'm sure for a lot of Seahawks fans, they kind of shudder when you start talking about drafting, developed guys, or taking chances <laughs> on guys. You know, Pete, Pete, 100 can see a superstar in a rock on a rock on the beach. So you know, I get it. I 100 get some of the people who might be a little bit hesitant, especially with defense of guys but again to your point when you talk about tools the combination of size physical traits and the fact that you actually have an, an ability to develop them that's not going to require him to be out dealing with live bullets from the best of the best on day one it would be yeah. really really hard to pass up on that for a team that just needs to add depth to his defensive backfield period gotcha okay so we didn't talk about Really, any of these guys, Andrew Booth Jr., Ka- is it Kair Elam? Ka- Elam? I'm, I'm guessing it's Kair or Kair Elam. I'm, I'm guessing, honestly. I have <laughs> not heard proper pronunciation yet. No worries. Or Marcus Jones, given what we know about the Seahawks and what they plan to do defensively in 2022, do you like any of these guys for the Seahawks? Name is Kair, by the way. Kair, okay. Kair. Kair. So Kair Elam is the guy. That's the guy I've okay. been banging the table for since the offseason began, you know, and it's not like, you know, I was just talking to somebody that runs a, a Bengals podcast a little bit earlier, and I'm going to repeat myself. It's not like, you know, when I'm saying that Kyrie Elam can be a dude in the NFL that I'm breaking news. This is somebody who was coming into the 2021 season was kind of being talked about as, you know, potentially being in that same tier or maybe right below Sauce and Stingley. So mm. this is a guy who had, you know, relatively great bona fides at the University of Florida to start with. And maybe I think just through the course of the season, some of the fallout with Dan Mullen, the fact that Florida didn't have the year that they were maybe hoping to have, that he kind of fell to the wayside a bit. When you turn on that Alabama tape and you're watching him go, you know, chest chest to chest with uh, Jamison Williams, you know, and he's able to win a lot of those reps, it pops out on film to you, you know, and you see his press repetitions, you know, and his ability to play physically at the line of scrimmage, that willingness to be, you know, chest to chest with wide receivers and take them all the way down the field. We talk about those prototypical bump and run corners. He's 100% in that mix. And uh, while I don't remember his 40 time offhand, I do know that it was fast enough to let people know that it's not not just playing physically at the line of scrimmage. He's athletic enough to be able to run with the fastest guys at the NFL level and cover them. And I think that if he can get rid of some of the grabbiness that might lead to some illegal contacts and defensive holding, that he'll probably, he can definitely be one of those guys that can develop later on in his career to be in a top flight, number one type of corner. Oh, see, his 40 was a four, three, nine, by the way. Yeah. I bet. Okay. He can do it. He can do it all. Yeah. Your boy can do it all for sure. Yeah, he was a uh, combine number 6'1", 191, 30 and 7 eighth, uh, ar- 7 eight inch arms. So r- right under 31. Right at, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with 439 speed, though. Mm. Like that is. Hey, Ooh. don't get beat deep. I got you, coach. Yeah. <laughs> right. That exactly. Is... exactly. And, 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 to, and to your point, his first team all SEC in 2020. So right. coming in at 21, like, yeah, it's not like some guy. Right. He's not guy. a secret. <laughs> yeah. He was all secret. freshman in the SEC in 2019. Mm-hmm. As well, and they only made five starts. So like, I mean, it's Florida. Like, it's hard to be under the radar. It's freaking Florida, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, 
Let me play it like Kent State or something like that. You know, like he played, you know, <laughs> you know, in a, in, a, in a big program. Yeah, I mean, just just like uh, I feel the same way that we're going to wrap it up here. But just after we uh, by the time this comes out, like our Ray Roberts uh, episode, we talked about O'Lyman has probably been out for a while now. Mm-hmm. Like I felt so educated about O'Lyman after that. The man, same way about DBs, man. man. There's just so many little things that goes in. Right. So all that the, what makes them great and what fits in the what schemes and where guys need to improve. And it's really interesting to I'd love to be in the room when the Seahawks just even talk about it. I wouldn't even right. report it. Just hear right. like what they think their coaching staff can fix, what they can excuse, what they feel like is like, all right, this is a red flag. We can't take this guy because of blank. Because mm-hmm. there's there's gonna be something with everybody. Right. right. Man, there's some guys like like you said, you're standing on the table for some guys. Like I'd probably be in there standing on the table for bro from Nebraska. Right. You, know, you get another coach in there who's standing on the table for for Tariq Willens. Like, right. Okay, whose table is higher? You right. Know, it just gets right. In, it gets to that point, and those are franchise altering decisions too. Yes. Well, you know what you can do is ask Pete. Like, hey, what do I got to do? Come in one of these rooms, man. I don't even want to report. He's gonna say, get a job with the Seahawks, probably. Like, He's gonna say, "I like you, Mike." Uh. Nah, he because they don't know if they can trust me yet to not just like tweet the information or tell everybody, which is I fair. They, I, I haven't really earned that from them. But boy, if they did, <laughs> I'll be front row. <laughs> I'm in there. I wouldn't snitch. I'm good. I'll I just, heard you know, that. Take my little notes, man. Yeah, but ladies and gentlemen, that's that's Deontay Lee, man. As you can tell, he's gonna bring a lot to the athletic. Like I'm really big. I'm really happy about this. Get you know, like it feels like. I'm like a a guy at the, at the school already, and we, I just seen one of the recruits we just signed. I'm like, right. oh, it's lit. <laughs> We're going to the natty this year. Right. Like, that's how I felt when I seen the little graphic. Uh, yeah, it was like it was, it. It was, we announced your hire, your hire, and then Nate Tice is hired mm-hmm. on the same day. And I was like, yo, this is like it's got to be like what it's like being at Duke, and they announced that we getting Paolo Benchero, <laughs> right. and I'm already right. there. Like, oh, right, we, yeah, we, oh, we about to do now, some man. things. I huh? yeah, yeah, we serious no. now. And yeah, it's no, draft time too. Yeah, man. Appreciate you the jumping in all the way. I mean, you only been on the staff for like, I don't know, a week or two when you've already done been on the pod. You yep. already you already done helped me with a story. Like you can we're gonna collab. Like, this oh, is of something. course. Of course. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you, man. For sure. Thank you for uh, stopping by, giving us this yes. insight, man. Uh, we pre- we appreciate it. If you ever need anything from me and Chris, uh, you already know to holler. Yeah, man. Uh, Likewise. Uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for tuning into the Seahawks Man to Man podcast and powered by the Athletic. Shout out to our guest, Deontay Lee. Deontay, where can they follow you, man? Let them know where so they can hit you on Twitter. Me on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. So D I A N T E L E E F B. No underscores. That's usually that's the the easiest hub that you can find me on. I'm not always on the timeline, but if I am, it's usually to promote some work that I'm working on. So that's where you can kind of find me talking about that. I'm usually talking crap about some NBA players I don't like on there as well. So <laughs> you know, if you if you like some James Harden slander, you can find me there, giving oh, that boy. away. <laughs> um, so that that's that's basically where you can find me, and I, I've got some good things on the way. Got a mock draft that's coming out on Monday. Oh, um, nice! Okay. In the first round, and I, I think I made some interesting picks there. So I can't wait to see who all is going to be pissed off at me for the next <laughs> week. So looking forward to that too. Wait, one last thing before we close it out, y'all. If you're listening, of course you're listening right now. If you eat a Seattle dog, tweet the picture to Deontay. And tag Deshaun right. Sean Reed as well. Tag them. All right. I want okay. I, we're gonna it's a movement here. Uh, I just want y'all to know whatever I say in response, Mike signs you up for that. Okay. <laughs> he volunteered you for whatever comes back for me on that. All right. I Might dare you smoke. <laughs> I appreciate you, Deontay. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys uh one more show, I think, right before the draft. There's the last one. Yes, yeah, one more, yeah. One more for a draft. Uh all right, y'all. We'll catch y'all later. Try the marijuana, I was never you good. The vibe was straight, shows you a couple of things and they finished.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.